Hello out there, all you terrific tuna. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Sarah, and I am joined by the terrific Casey as well. Did I Was terrific the adjective that I used to start? Did I just use it twice? Yeah, cool. it's okay, you though. Know, I mean, it's fine. Tunas are terrific, and I'll take the terrific as well. It does remind <laughs> me a little bit of, like, Tony the Tiger and, like... You're great. <laughs> I was going to say, he, that's, he didn't say terrific. I know, but it's it's alliterative still, so that he should have said terrific. That would have made more sense. Hi, guys. I'm Casey. Sarah, how are you today? I'm doing fine. I'm just back from... it's. It is actually Monday when we're recording this. Mondays are not normally my typical work week Monday, but I did just come back from a long sort of staycation weekend, so my brain's still kind of adjusting. <laughs> Figuring out what's going on, getting back into the regular swing of things, but I'm I'm doing well. How about you? Pretty well. I am on my weekend and I am being pretty productive, which requires mm-hmm. some caffeine. But other than that, <laughs> not a lot going on. So um yeah, it's basically no choice. You know, when you like procrastinate to the point where you're yeah. like, okay, there are like 10 things on the list and something has to get <laughs> it has to happen now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Sarah, do you have any updates about any homework either from last week or or in the past? I really don't think I do have anything specific. I know last week we kind of just talked about news where you get your sort of conservation news and I'm still struggling with that a little bit just because I want to be more intentional about it. But I know that doing something like signing up for an email list or something of that nature isn't going to work for me because Casey, as you know, you've seen my inbox and there's like 10,000 unread emails in it. So, uh, you know, those are just going to get buried. So I still have to figure out exactly kind of how I want to implement that in my life. But I've also been thinking, and this may be what we talk about next week on the podcast, Casey, I haven't discussed that with you yet, but I've just been thinking a lot about where I've how I've been doing sort of in my sustainability goals. And I just feel like there are a lot of places where I've fallen off. And so I'm trying to plan out my year and think about the things that I sort of need to do to get back on track, things I want to work on. And also think about, you know, the the things that are are different from where they were last year. So I don't know. I've I've been a little down about it recently, but uh, trying to come up with some actionables for 2023. Just listen through all of our past podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've been thinking about that too, because we talked about New Year's resolutions last week. And I watched a video that had come out a couple years ago from a YouTube um, YouTuber, I guess, a YouTube channel called CGP Gray, who I've been following for a long time. And he does a lot of like explainer analysis on things. But instead, this time he talked about how he approaches New Year's resolutions. And he said, that you know we're really drawn to the quantifiables that that are part of you know new year's resolution i'm going to read x this many books i'm going to read this Mm. you know i'm going to go to the gym this many times a week and he said basically when you in his opinion when you fall off of those you automatically are demotivated and feel Mm -hmm. like you already lost so why even try and so he does new year's by themes so he'll Mm -hmm. say like it is the year of adventure or it's mm-hmm. the year and so I started trying to think about it because I I've, I've felt the same way that I'm falling off some of the things like best practices that we're starting to get a little bit more in the groove because we're settling into the house but there's still a lot of room for growth and so I'm trying to approach this year with the theme of uh, the year of being a little greener and that means that every time you come to kind of a decision point a little fork in the road trying to make the greener choice between those two things um, that are presented there. So um, that's some of the things I think I'm going to be focusing our episodes on is how to make greener choices. Um, I mean, that's already part of our canon, but that's some of the things I'm going to be probably thinking more about. So doing more episodes about, and that's part of today's episode too. So today we're going to talk about canned tuna. 88% of Americans, according to aboutseafood.com, eat tuna, which I don't know that there's a lot of 88% of Americans do anything all all the same. Um, so I thought that was pretty fascinating. It's only second to shrimp in consumption in the United States. So I was wondering, did you grow up eating tuna? Um, like what format, if so, did you eat tuna in? 
I do eat tuna. I'm surprised by that number just because I feel like when I do eat tuna, like occasionally it's been a while, but I would have like a tuna sandwich at work or something. Yeah. And I would always have to ask permission <laughs> to people around me because I feel like a lot of people don't like tuna and they don't like the smell of it or anything like that. They just don't even want to be near it. So I feel like that is is quite a high number. But I did, we didn't eat it a lot, but we had a staple. My mom would make something that we just called tuna noodle, which I feel like a lot of people would have tuna noodle tuna noodle casserole yes which is a hot dish this was not that this is literally just it's noodles like the shells Mm -hmm. um and then tuna and we would use miracle whip and celery like chopped up celery all mixed together and you serve it cold and i don't know if that sounds good to anybody out there but i love it like it is so good i make it for myself fairly regularly now and it just always feels like home when I make it it's it's pretty simple to make but I just enjoy it so we would eat tuna in that format and then as I got older I did like as I started to occasionally you know do the tuna salad sandwich or something like that yeah that sounds like like a tuna pasta salad yeah right it basically is what it is doesn't sound super appealing to me but I don't like pasta salads or anything like that so it's just not really my cup of tea we grew up eating cold tuna sandwiches and it was like mayo salt and tuna Mm -hmm. um and then as an adult I still ate that and I'll sometimes eat it with like tortilla chips but at some point Andrew and I went through a phase of like how do we do our basics but make it a little jazzier so like you know what spices can I throw into this Campbell's tomato soup to make it feel like not Campbell's tomato soup. And so Andrew looked up a tuna salad sandwich recipe that has a lot more ingredients. And man, it feels like you're going out to a restaurant when he makes those tuna melts. (laughs) I I was going to say, I made a tuna melt at home for the first time, maybe within the last year. That was really fun. Highly recommend. (laughs) Yeah. So we eat that pretty often because we don't eat a lot of meat and we're looking for protein, but also um, fish confers all sorts of health benefits. So that's, I think, a big reason that a lot of people do eat it. Um, And there is definitely a lot of things related to the environment when we Mm -hmm. are talking about our food, but especially fish, because it's one of the few food items that we still get regularly throughout the world from the wild. Like there's all of our our meat that we regularly eat for most people is from a farm. Um, And so this is the one thing we're like, oh yeah, you go to the grocery store and it's a wild thing (laughs) that is in there. So today I wanted to talk about how to choose the greenest can of tuna. All right, guys, welcome back. This is where we're going to be talking a lot about tuna, um, and we're going to do a format that is going to be based a little bit off of the can of tuna that I have in front of me, and I have asked Sarah to bring her cans of tuna as well. So uh, my can of tuna is the Northern Catch brand from Aldi. I looked today, and it was $1.15, and um, it is sustainably caught skipjack chunk light tuna in water. Sarah, can you tell us about the cans in front of you? I have two cans of tuna with me and that these are legit. Like I didn't buy anything for this episode. These are just the two. I did have to save one can because I ate it. So So I have a can of Starkist tuna that is solid white albacore tuna in water. It's always wild caught and it is dolphin safe which i know we're going to talk about and then i also have this is what i typically buy now is wild planet this is also albacore i don't always buy albacore tuna but that is both of what i have today albacore wild tuna this is sustainably poland line caught 100 pure tuna and sea salt amazing it is also dolphin safe no long lines no nets and turtle safe Oh, okay. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about it. Some some other things that are on my can here is it's wild caught. It's dolphin safe. Um, gives you a little bit of health things. The can is recyclable. <laughs> <laughs> um, pole and line caught and this certified sustainable seafood from the Marine Stewardship Council. So 
there's a lot of things going on here and there's other things on this can that we'll also talk about. And so that's sort of what we're visiting. So I invite you, if you're not driving and you have a can of tuna handy and you want to follow along to see what's on your can, I invite you to, to go and get a can of tuna out of the cupboard. So why are we talking about this? We eat a lot of tuna and it is good in a lot of ways and it also has some problems. So overall, when we're talking about seafood, there's, I would say, three big problems. Um, the first is overfishing. So many of the world's fish talks are overexploited, which means there are not enough fish left to sustain the population. Um, so that's not great for the ocean, but it's also not very good for us who like to eat the fish because we need those stocks to be sustainable. Um, we can study and monitor populations and then limit the number of fish that we harvest or the timing of our catches or where we're allowed to harvest them. And as consumers, we can avoid species that we know are overexploited. The, the second thing is bycatch. Sarah, can you explain to us what bycatch is? Yeah. So typically if fishermen or those that are in the fishing industry are going out, they are they have a specific target fish that they are trying to catch. Bycatch is pretty much anything else besides that target species that they're trying to catch. So it might be other species of fish. They might be getting things like sea turtles or sharks or dolphins, any type of other marine life outside of what it is that they're trying to catch. Right. This is generally incidentally happens within the course because we use certain fishing The techniques. type of yeah, the type of materials that they're using to fish or the way that they're fishing. Yeah, so that's a huge issue. And so when we talk about things like sea turtles, this is in whales. These are species that are impacted by fishing industry, even though you're not eating them. <laughs> um, and these can be avoided by making sure that we're using sustainable fishing practices. And so we'll talk a little bit about those. And I would say the third issue, and obviously there are other issues too, but the, the third issue I want to talk about is that the seafood industry being global uh, and out in the middle of the ocean means that we also don't have that great of reporting within it. A lot of boats are self-reporting their data. Obviously, they're not going to try and report that they are catching a whole lot of endangered species or they might be reporting that they have better labor practices than they do. And so that's a big issue. There's a lot of illegal fishing happening and it gets just mixed in with your regular fishing. And you'll see reports of people saying, oh, well, actually, the thing that you thought was a certain species in your fish and chips is totally not that. So there's a lot of that issue that is going to make some of these problems harder to solve because it's not as regulated. When we're looking at our cans of tuna, we can actually determine most of the information that we were just talking about there from our can of tuna. It's in the US, we have pretty good labeling system. So we kind of can know what type of fish is in our can. We should. We should know where it's from, what method was used to catch it, and uh, any other information they want to give us about certifications as well. So Sarah, you said you had albacore, correct? I Yes, I happen to have albacore in both of these cans. And I did look up a little bit about that. I like I remember standing yeah. in the grocery store pulling up the Seafood Watch website. But so we can talk more about that. But yes, both of mine are albacore today. Yeah, mine's skipjack. Um, you'll also see yellowfin tuna in cans as well. Bluefin tuna is also fished uh, and consumed it's consumed in the U.S. at least. Um, so there are a lot of tuna options that we consume, whether it's in a can or it's in sushi, for example. That would be the other way that I would consume tuna. I've also had like a tuna steak at a friend's house that his dad caught in the ocean. So we also have catch from recreational mm -hmm. fishermen as well. The NOAA, National Oceanic Atmospheric Association, mm, something. Mm, ah, every, time. every time. <laughs> every time. I don't write it out because it's so long. <laughs> they report that many species of tuna are smart seafood choices. So albacore is listed as a seafood choice that is a smart seafood choice. Yeah. It is. Yes. I Something that's interesting that we don't have to go too, too deep on, but you did mention like knowing where it's yeah. caught is important too. And that was something interesting that I missed on my wild planet tuna is that when i look at it it's it just says globally sourced fish oh interesting so when i went on seafood watch there are today uh i was just doing it quickly the day when i bought this can but when i went on today i i have a feeling that this is still a, a decent choice because of some of the other things on the can but there are some locations where 
it's not as good of a choice. So I looked online at Wild Planet's website and they have identical, what I thought was an identical can, but looking at the pictures, it does actually list two specific locations that they caught that tuna from. So that is something I'm going to have to keep an eye out for the yeah. next time I buy. Um, so Sarah's mentioning Seafood Watch. We're going to talk about it a little bit, but not in depth at the end. It is a third-party certification system run through the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Um, as a disclosure, I shadowed for them at an AZA conference. I think they're an amazing organization, um, but they kind of are looking at the same information that I'm looking mm -hmm. at right now. I just want to give you a little more detail about some of those information yeah. pieces. Um, and like you said, uh, when you say global sources, tuna is found in waters basically globally they're not found near the poles but otherwise they're migratory they're everywhere <laughs> they're, that you can find them in the atlantic and pacific you can catch them in the u.s you can catch them in the indian ocean like it's it's pretty much everywhere the difference in these species has to do with a lot of different things obviously but um one of the things that influences sustainable choices is how wick of a life cycle they have. So how big does this animal grow? How long does it take to reach maturity? And how fast does it reproduce? So one of the advantages to skipjack and why I choose it is because they have a shorter lifespan, but they reproduce at an earlier age. So for skipjacks, they can reproduce at one years old versus five years old for albacore tuna and eight years old for bluefin tuna. So overall, they are said by some sources to be a slightly more sustainable option albacore is still a sustainable option as well it's listed so um that's one of the reasons i choose it is just i know that their populations are perhaps the most robust of any of the, yeah, the wild species that's out a there. great point and not not anything that i was aware of or had ever thought about before so i've learned something already did a little bit of research thank you noah for that one <laughs> <laughs> so um so that's the first thing we know what kind of Tuna is in our can. There's not just like one species of tuna. You can pick and choose what kind of tuna you're eating. They do have different tastes. They do have, you know, different consistencies or colors to them. So you might notice difference if you eat exclusively albacore and you switch to uh, skipjack. I don't notice really the difference myself, but other people might. So the next thing you pointed out, Sarah, is you have a dolphin safe label on yours. Yes. Does it have like any sort of seal on it or is it just say dolphin safe? It has a little icon where it's it's just got a dolphin breaching the surface of the water sure. there. I don't know, uh, which actually looks like it is a registered trademark. So, yes, it, this one has that little symbol on it. That's the Starkist, right? Yeah. Yeah, they both actually have that on there. Okay. I think that might be the U.S. patented label, but there are also third-party certification systems for that as well. Um, a lot of tuna companies will pay into those third-party certification systems um, and get to use their little label on there to say they're dolphin safe. Um, dolphin safe, that's the thing I remember from when I was a kid is we had bu the Bumblebee brand and they had like a little dolphin with like a, a circle and a cross through it. Like there's no dolphins in your tuna. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that was never the problem. Right. <laughs> there was never really a problem with there being dolphins in your tuna, but this is actually a baseline requirement for your canned tuna. Basically, dolphin safe labeling shows the brand's adherence to the Dolphin Protection Consumer Act, um, but it's now so widely adopted as an international standard, it's used by 95% of the tuna industry. So finding a can that doesn't say dolphin safe on it is unlikely, but you could still find it, especially if you go to like an independent or an international food uh, marketplace in your town, you might find a brand that's not from the US that doesn't have that. So it's worth looking for. I looked up why dolphins are such an issue with tuna specifically, and I was fascinated by this. Are you familiar with like what, what this relationship is between tuna and dolphins there. just generally i it's all it's again sort of a vague thing that i learned about at one time but it has to do with basically using the dolphins to find the tuna right yes. so dolphins will kind of in do they don't they like encircle so what i was seeing is specifically in the east tropic pacific tuna and dolphins live in association with each other and we don't know why they just hang out together. Pods of dolphins, schools of tuna. I've heard some things about like, oh, the, 
you know, tuna feed off the scraps the dolphins mm-hmm. eat or things like that. But when I was doing the research, no one had a conclusive reason for it, according to um, I think it was fish and wildlife or the or the overall act that it was under in the um for the dolphin safe when you look at the government page for it. So prior to this protection act, basically what would happen is that people would find dolphins in that area and that would indicate that there was a presence of tuna. They would chase them down, round up the dolphins with the tuna underneath right. them, drop the net around the tuna and the dolphins and catch both of them at the same yeah. time. And that was resulting in the mortality of up to 132,000 dolphins every year. That's a number from 1989, which is wild. That's a crazy number. Basically, people got mad about it <laughs> because no one likes it when you kill dolphins. And so they were able to pass this act saying like, hey, people in the U.S., we don't want our tuna to kill dolphins as bycatch, basically. But it was basically an intentional bycatch in this this case mm-hmm. um the act has been expanded to require anyone claiming to be dolphin safe not only to promise not to intentionally chase down dolphins because that was the like original thing was you're not allowed to specifically chase down dolphins and then go round them up and pull it up now it's been expanded to report any dolphin mortality and you're not supposed to have any dolphin mortality to report that you're tuna safe um, since the act has been put in place, dolphin mortality has been hugely decreased. So compared to that 132,000 number, we have reported deaths of 819. Um, and that was, the latest number for that was from 2018. So less than 1% of the mort- mortality. Again, a lot of self-reporting going on. So I would expect that number to be actually in reality a little higher, but captains can get trained on this occasionally they'll have observers that's a lot of times when you have an extra symbol on there if you see like some sort of dolphin safe seal that has a different name on it it could be a third party that's going out and actually helping monitor their fleets just showing like an extra level of protection yeah so my feeling about this is i i remember it i remember reading a little bit about it and then i remember in after that so in more recent years feeling like basically the gist was this was the, this is the bare minimum like this is the the yes. least of the you should definitely have this on your can of tuna but as we're going to talk about don't think that this means your can of tuna is the most environmentally friendly thing out there absolutely that's how i would classify it as well if you are looking especially like on a major brand of tuna and especially if you're going to a major brand uh supermarket Seeing dolphin safe is basically the expectation. That's the mm-hmm. lowest bar. <laughs> um, there are a few fisheries in Mexico and Colombia that don't adhere to dolphin safe protocol, and you might be able to find those in the U.S., but it's it's less likely. So really, like 99% of the tuna in the U.S. that you have access to should have that dolphin safe marker on it. Um, and so at this point, it almost it, it's not greenwashing because it is an actual government standard and that's literally what it's called. But at the same time, it can give the false impression to the consumer that that is, that means that this is all very They're going good. above and beyond. Yeah. Right. And it also doesn't say like your wild planet does your wild planet says that it's turtle safe. It's not saying it's turtle safe. It's not saying it's shark safe. It's not saying that it's, uh, you know, not catching other species, seabirds, other marine mammals, all are caught up in the fishing industry. So dolphin safe is a standard, but it is sort of the bare minimum. So the next thing that's on my tuna can, and Sarah, do you see it on yours? I have a blue label. It's got a fish and it says certified sustainable seafood MSC. I actually, I do not think that I have that on either of mine, which I'm a little bit surprised about. Are you familiar with the MSC at all? Not, I mean, I know what the Marine Stewardship Council is, but I mean. In general, yeah. Yeah, I I kept being like, am I remembering this wrong? Why does it sound so familiar? We did an episode on the Forest Stewardship Council. Oh. (laughs) So I was like, no. (laughs) Um, What I didn't know is that it's actually a third-party certification system that was formed as a partnership between the World Wildlife Foundation and Unilever, um, which is a huge multinational. It's an Anglo-Danish corporation. But if you look at, like, anything from your seafood brand to like your period pads (laughs) they could be from 
Unilever. It's one of those mm-hmm. companies that like owns everything. Um, and it was formed in 1998. They talked about it in 1996, but it seems like it formally got together in 1998. And they claim to certify seafood based on three principles, sustainable fish stocks, minimal environmental impact, and effective management. So that's like kind of covers those issues that I was talking about in the beginning is we got to mm-hmm. make sure that the fish sticks around. We got to make sure that there's no bycatch if we're not destroying any habitat. And we got to make sure that this is managed in a way that we know that it's going to continue to be sustainable. So I could do a whole episode on this. And if you're really interested in market-based solution, third-party certification, sustainability systems, I do recommend listening to that Forest Stewardship Council episode that we did. It's one of our first episodes because it will talk a little bit about the pros and cons in that. And I don't want to get into the weeds because it's a little crazy, but it's a little, it's while it's probably the biggest certification system, it is still a little controversial. I'm just wondering, and forgive me if this is getting too in the weeds, what was the other, we talked about the Forest Stewardship Council. What was the other? um, Oh, yeah. Do you remember? I'm just wondering if the MSC is maybe more analogous to that other certification that we talked about in that episode. Yeah, that one was like a U.S. Forest Alliance or something like that. (laughs) Um, So in that episode, we basically compared two sustainable certification systems and how one was significantly more rigorous than the other one. But remember, the FSC in that episode, too, still had some issues. And so this the MSC falls into this same sort of issues that I think any market-based solution is really going to fall into, which is anytime you try and please everyone. So their claim is they're working with scientists and with fishermen to try and come up with the best solution that's good for the fishermen and great for the planet. And that means compromise because sometimes that means for the scientists, they're going to say, don't touch that fish anymore. And for the fishermen, that means I don't have a job. So so more likely you're going to adopt some sort of middle ground solution that's attainable, um, but more sustainable. And so initially I was reading a whole series of, of debates about when they were first forming this, how this was going to impact the industry. Initially, there was a lot of concern that this would impact, basically it would only be attainable by large scale firms and that you would have small independent fishermen would be cut out of the system because they wouldn't be able to meet the standards that the MSC was setting forth. And then you would have them forced out of the industry in favor of larger corporations. That is less of a talked about issue right now, I should say. I mean, this has been 25 years now of Mm -hmm. the, the MSC. Now I see a lot more controversy that has to do with the fact that environmentalists don't think that the standards are high enough. And we have a couple examples of fisheries that demonstrate unsafe practices, even though they are um, MSC certified. So in one NPR article I was reading, they were talking to fishermen who fish for swordfish and they use a long line, which we'll talk about in a minute, which catches thousands of sharks. (laughs) And so if you're trying to protect species and limit bycatch that even if it's more sustainable than another option doesn't mean it's sustainable and as a consumer you are looking at this symbol trying to trust it to say this is sustainable i shouldn't have to do any more research because these people consulted with the scientists but if it's not meeting your standards then it becomes a little greenwashy so basic rule of thumb if you see a logo on your food look up that logo and see what it actually means. Yeah, I, I linked the NPR article and I also linked a uh, aquadocs.org uh, series of articles that has the debate between the fishing industry and the uh, environmentalists. And it's just really interesting because some of the fishing industry stakeholders argue that really we shouldn't be interfering in the market. But the truth is, is that the government subsidizes fishing worldwide. So like there is no pure market happening without the MSC. This is trying to use consumer pressure and market pressure to change industry standards where governments aren't doing it. So (laughs) it's something that I look at and I say, oh, good. I'm glad that it has Mm -hmm. it on it. But to me, it's not good enough. And that's sort of the point of this episode. If I thought that this was good enough, we would just call the episode the Marine Stewardship Council and just be fine with that. But uh, I don't think it's good enough. I think we should have more information about it. 
So the next thing is, what fishing method was used to catch your fish? And Sarah, you said both of your cans say wild caught, right? Both of my cans say wild caught, yes. Yes. Um, I always think this is a little funny because they will put it on anything that's wild caught, even if there doesn't, there is no fish farming right. established for that species. So about 50% of our seafood in the U.S. is farmed. It used to be an extremely dirty industry. Now it's looked at as a possibility to become more of a sustainable way of meeting our seafood needs. It has its own issues. It has its own positives to it, too. I do think it's a little funny because Skipjack's tuna is not <laughs> farmed anywhere in the world. According to A Tuna, which is a website that's part of the industry, they said that there are no Skipjack tuna farms. There are some bluefish tuna farms in Japan and Spain and an experimental yellowfish farm in Panama. But there is no albacore farm and there is no Skipjack farm. To me, I just think it's funny because I sort of feel like if I were a consumer that was just didn't know anything about the tuna industry or whatever, I feel like wild caught would be something that you would think sort of inherently feels like it would be a bad thing. Because as you said, so much of our other food, our meat products and things like that are things that we farm raise. And so to me, I feel like the average consumer would would think that wild caught was bad. So that's why it's funny to me that it's just put all over these labels without any context. Do you have any sort of, so I, I'll talk about something I saw at a grocery store in a second. Mine just says wild caught. It's like a very minimalist label. Does yours have any picture associated oh, with wild caught? Mine are like, it's on the top. It's sun-kissed tuna is always wild caught with their little happy, like, they're tuna like, man this that you're about is, to yeah. eat. And then it says, <laughs> it says it just in smaller font on on the label there and then the other one i mean it it talks about how it's caught as well but yeah it's less of a sell on the wild planet well it's in their their name too i'm sure it is in there kind of implies <laughs> that i i kind of agree but i think why i laugh about it is because there was a seafood brand when i lived in indy that would say wild caught but they would have a little label on it and it had an orca like a killer whale jumping out of the ocean and it would say wild caught it, it was swordfish it was like on all sorts of things and so i imagine like they want the consumer to feel like my fish lived a free and happy life mm. up until the point that it was caught <laughs> and instead of like being in a farm i don't know that a lot of people can picture what farmed fish looks like maybe maybe this like controversy on farm fish was before i became aware of it but um but maybe that's something that they were trying to steer away from yeah i don't know i don't know either um so on our cans it should say how it was caught mine says pretty prominently pull and line caught what do yours say so the wild planet is pull and line that's why i buy it primarily mm -hmm. like this is the number one thing that i feel like is in my head uh, about tuna i don't know for for right or wrong but that's kind of the thing that i look for i actually don't know that the other one actually says Mine also says it when it, it gives the scientific name of the species that's in there, where it's from, and then it has catch method. So I don't know if that's something that like legally they put in one spot or or if Starkist just isn't giving us all their info. I don't think that Starkist is. All right. Wow. I'm not if I'm if I find it later, I'll I'll let you know. I don't want to Well, to me, if they're not advertising it, you don't want to know. Yeah, it's it's not a bragging point for them. So yeah. the reason that ours say pull and line caught and are happy about it is because I think pull and line caught is inarguably the most sustainable way you could be catching tuna. I imagine my pop-up going out in the middle of his pond or his fishing boat, casting his rod out there, pulling in a fish. If he wanted it, he would keep it. If he didn't, he would let it go and that's basically what's happening on a pretty large scale sometimes they're mechanically reeling in these lines but it's individual lines cast out they bait the water and i assume they're spotting like where the fish are in general because tuna are schooling fish you spot where they are you go you bait the water you cast your lines and then if you pull in something that's not a tuna you just throw, you throw it, back. it back 
So it, there's it's pretty you're, you you've basically got no bycatch right. with this method, and that's huge. It's so big. It's that so I specifically look for pole and line. I possibly could end the episode right there. Pole and line <laughs> tuna. Really right. the best can of tuna. Find pole and line, and they will brag about it. No one's going to hide that they're doing pull in line. They will tell you. The next best option is to look for something that says it's FAD free. Does your star kissed have anything about that? Sure does not. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Um, our pull in line probably won't have FAD free because FADs aren't generally used yeah. in pull in line catch. So FAD is a fish aggregating device. Um, it's thrown into the water to encourage fish to come and seek shelter beneath it. So when there's just like a log floating in the water, it becomes its own little ecosystem. And so they'll put out artificial versions of that to try and attract fish. And you will get tuna that will school around it as well because they're trying to look for food. So you'll see them abbreviated to FAD. What they'll do is they throw the FAD out. They might leave it there for a while and it gets all these things coming around it. They'll put a big net around it. They scoop it up. Typically, they're using a purse seam, and a purse seam net is basically if you drop the net and you weight the one end, it'll be vertical, right? Mm -hmm. And then they drive the boat around the FAD, and then they tighten the bottom. So then you've got basically like a giant net with an open top, and then they'll reel it in, pulling the top closed as well. I always think of Finding Nemo. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that, I guess that must have been I, pretty I similar. I feel like it has to have been that that type of thing, even if that's not exactly what they showed in the movie when they had when the Marlin's yeah. caught. It's all yeah. <laughs> swim down, swim down, swim down. Yes, um, that doesn't happen in real no. life. Um, <laughs> so the but problem just to give is, you that image yes. of yes, the big net, the big trap. Up. Yeah. Honestly, that's how I've always sort of pictured industrial fishing is similar to that. Mm -hmm. Um. Like the only other thing you think of is like Jesus throwing his like becoming a fisher of men throwing his big net overboard and like reeling it in. That's that's the only other type of like industrial scale I can think of. Um, so um, the problem is, is that this method attracts not just tuna, but also juvenile sharks, other sea life tuna that are not big enough that you really want to catch them in the first place. And once you reel them in on a per scene method, they are more likely to end up dead than they are are being able to be thrown back alive. They are used in the catch of Pacific skimpjack tuna, for example, in the U.S. There are regulations to certain areas and certain times of year. So the fishing industry, I think, maybe not the fishing industry, at least governments recognize that this is an unsustainable practice. They haven't outlawed it. It is generally just more limited, at least in U.S. waters. And it's very much a way that people catch tuna. The purse scene by itself, even though I've always kind of thought of the Finding Nemo scene and been sad about it, um, can actually be a pretty efficient and sustainable way to catch tuna. If you're just using your little echolocation radar system or you're looking like you've got your lookout on the little mast and they're looking out and they see a bunch of birds and mm -hmm. you, you go up, roll up and you see it's a big school of tuna. If you're not using that fish aggregating device, it's actually a pretty sustainable way of doing it because you're mostly getting tuna. And they can adjust like the mesh size too, right? Yes. I feel like mm -hmm. the, the mesh size can make a difference to make sure you're not catching things that are smaller than you Small, would want to catch yeah. or whatever. Yes, there are some ways to adjust it. If you don't use the FAD, you will see per scene listed as a sustainable method of catching tuna in areas where tuna is well-managed or the populations are good. So a lot of times you won't see them advertise per scene, but if you see them do per scene, a lot of times they will say it's FAD free, but those are some words to be looking for on your can. Things you don't want to see on your can would be long line fishing. Long line fishing is kind of what it sounds like. It's like a long line, but it's, it's so long. <laughs> it's so long, but I also have to tell you, it's kind of what it sounds like. Also, I misimagined this for quite really? a while before I actually saw, because I, for some reason, was imagining like a fishing line, but going straight down. Oh, okay. Like, like deep different sea, hooks long at line. different depths. Yeah. Got but it. it's actually a long line that will drag behind the mm -hmm. boat and it's kind of like buoyed up at intervals. Mm -hmm. And then off of that, horizontal 
line, there are lots of vertical lines hanging with hooks. Right. Yeah. I think of like almost like a strand of Christmas lights Mm -hmm. and each individual of those Christmas lights, it drops down into the ocean to like the icicle lights. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) When I say they're long, they're on average 28 miles long. I can't even imagine that 28 miles. If they would have said that 28 we- meters, I would have been like, yeah, it's a long one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so long. So um, the big issues that have come along with this is you're dragging this out there. They, they'll let it soak, which just basically means sit in the water for a mm-hmm. while before they start reeling it in. Think about it. You, Sometimes drop- days even, right? Yes. It can be multiple days. A long time. And they'll bait these hooks and other species that are not tuna also like bait. So you'll have lots of different species um, incidentally get caught up in it. Historically, sea turtles have been a huge mortality bycatch in long lines. Sharks are a huge one, too. I talked about them in the swordfish. But also seabirds were a big issue as well. They have found that if you just sink the long line down a little bit deeper and you put streamers on the Mm -hmm. buoys, that's enough for the seabirds not really to want to hang out on there anymore. So there are ways to adjust it to make it more sustainable they've changed the shapes of the hook so it has more of a circular hook so sea turtles are less caught on it but at the end of the day uh there's still lots of species that they're not trying to catch getting caught on these lines and by the time you reel it in these species are drowned it's too late yeah it is too late there's basically no way to prevent the bycatch in this so you don't want to see that on your can of tuna that is not a sustainable way to catch tuna. If they say it's sustainable and long line fishing, I just disagree at that point. <laughs> okay, well, we found out from my can tells me what method and then your wild planet does as well. Mm-hmm. Starkiss doesn't. So we know that they're... Womp, womp. Oh, yeah, they're not bragging about it, at least. <laughs> it feels like they're hiding something on that that point. The next thing that we can determine, or we should be able to determine, is where your fish is fished from. And Sarah's just says global sources yep. on her wild plant. So once again, I can't find anything on my uh, star kissed, and I'm disappointed. I'm really disappointed in my wild planet for just saying global. I'm, I'm just surprised. Maybe I like assumed that there's certain things you have to list. Because when you work with Seafood Watch, they tell you like... Ask the question. When you go to the restaurant, ask where it's from. Right. They should know. If they don't know, then that's sort of a problem because you know that they're not thinking about where they get their seafood from. Okay, well, your can of tuna doesn't, so I'll just focus on my can of tuna. Um, so my can of tuna says it's from FAO Area 51, which, <laughs> <laughs> which we, I had to Google what that meant. Um, so FAO. AO is the Food and Agriculture Organization. They're part of the United Nations. You will see them conglomerate all sorts of reports. But basically, our oceans in the deep parts aren't owned by anybody. So they're just trying to sort of keep track of the different areas that they're from. And so FAO 51 is in the Western Indian Ocean, basically from the Red Sea, so up in the Middle East, down the east coast of Africa, all the way around Madagascar. And then east to the tip of India and then south from there. So it's a pretty big area. It's the Indian Ocean, basically. So it's a major fishing area, 51. This is where the tuna I have was fished. And there's there's tuna there. There doesn't seem to be huge issues with their populations there. However, on my can of tuna, it also says it's distributed and sold exclusively by Aldi. Um, Their distribution center is in uh, Badavaya, Illinois, but it is a product of Thailand. Mine also says that it was processed in Thailand. Okay, and that's the Starkist can. No, that is the the, the Wild Planet. planet? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, interesting. Okay, so this is a red flag for me. Not necessarily like avoid at all costs, but it maybe for you if you've got certain standards for your for your food sources. So that means that mine was probably from a Thai fishing vessel that came from Thailand, went out into the Indian Ocean, fished for my tuna there, and returned to Thailand. And that's why it's a product of Thailand. The problem is, is that Thailand is notably one area where we know that there is 
slavery involved in the fishing industry. I think sometimes in the U.S. it's hard to picture what slavery looks like today because we have a very specific touch point in our history when we think about, you know, plantations, when we think about the Civil War. That's, I think, where at least where my brain goes initially when I think the word slavery. But, you know, slavery still exists in a modern context. These workers are in forced labor conditions, quote unquote, which means they may be just straight up trafficked. They could be, you know, basically stolen people put on boats and sold to seed captains. They are sometimes beaten and not paid, have food withheld, are forced to stay on the boat for years, like do not get to come on land for years. Um, and sometimes they are killed and thrown under- overboard because they use our people that no one's keeping track of at this point. Um, others will have basically be in a situation where they're coerced, where they'll have their identification papers taken by their employers. And so they're not really able to legally leave the boat. And it especially if they're migrants, which a lot of the Thai fishery population is migrant um, from other countries. They may have to sign contracts enforcing their poor working conditions, but it's not in a language they understand and they might not be compensated as processed. So it's if your can of tuna is from Thailand, it doesn't mean that it was fished by people who are in forced labor conditions or are enslaved. But Thailand has a problem that they are not doing enough according to human rights organizations to properly address and prevent issues like these and we know that it is happening in that country we know that it's happening in taiwan and i'm sure in some other countries as well it's just pretty well documented as being part of the thailand supply chain i will say that i just looked at wild planet's website and they do address that in their faqs so you can look do at they? That okay and determine uh, whether you feel like it's an adequate response. They also have a perspective on MSC certification and why they don't use it, which I haven't read yet. But just FYI, that if you are somebody who, like me, has bought this tuna for a while thinking that it was sort of top of the line and you're now curious about some of these things, they do have some info available on their website. You can check it out. Yeah, I mean, so I think sometimes when we're so focused on the green aspect of something, we f- forget the human aspect of it. And so my sustainable tuna, which I feel pretty strongly is sustainable, comes from an area with documented issues with human rights. And so if you've decided, okay, that's that's the bar for me, I'm not going to get northern catch tuna, which is what I have here, or at least not anything that's northern catch tuna that says it's a product of Thailand. You should know that Greenpeace reports that a sampling of Taiwanese vessels that supplies Bumblebee, which is one of the biggest suppliers of just regular it's starkest it's chicken of the sea it's bumblebee um have either been indicted on human rights violations or found to be operating illegally and they have been sued that bumblebee has been sued for false advertising by the global labor justice international labor rights for claiming to have a fair and safe supply chain when we know that there's documented issues within it so if it turns you off to northern catch it should also make you raise questions about major brands of seafood, especially if they're not documenting where they're not telling you exactly where your food was fished from or who it was fished by, I guess. So if you're like not Northern catch, but I'm just going to keep eating my bumblebee, you're not avoiding the issue and you're just consuming unsustainable tuna. So there are multiple things at play at the same time. I looked at wild planet because that's really when I go, I can only find cheaper sustainable seafood and that's actually a question i had is this is a dollar and 15 cents sarah do you remember how much you paid for your wild planet i don't have a clue i don't buy it often enough and because i thought that it was uh, you know a good choice i didn't mind paying a little extra for it because mine was like uh 25 cents more expensive than the regular tuna at aldi and so i'm like yeah i'm paying more but that's fine because it's sustainable but it's way cheaper than when you get Wild Planet. Yeah. Because when I went to the grocery store near me that has Wild Planet, I think it was like 3 or $4 a can. Yeah, it probably was. And I was like, how is Aldi supplying pull and line caught seafood <laughs> so cheaply? It's because they're getting it from Thailand and it's cheaper to do it there than it is somewhere else. When I looked at the Wild Planet website because I wanted to see, since they are the most popular brand of sustainably caught tuna i wanted to see what they said and they 
do have some stuff in there where it reflects a higher standard of care in their supply chain. 90% of their tuna is sourced from the U.S. and Japan, which don't have the same documented issues as Taiwan and Thailand do. I looked at, I I was trying to find any of that sort of stuff in there and I, I couldn't find documented issues from those two countries. I, when I was looking at like their general page, I didn't look at their FAQ page. I didn't see any talking points on their general standards about human rights and fishing. And that's something I actually wanted to see them talk about on that main page because I, it's an issue. And as environmentalists, we should be taking a stand on that as well as the environmental issues as well. Yeah, they do have it in their, like I said, FAQs. I can throw a link to that in our show notes as well. Do it. And I'll send it to you, Casey, too. Excellent. And I, I'm interested in my perspective on the Marine Stewardship Council as well, because that's, yeah, the, perhaps they're just going above and beyond that standard and they don't feel like they need to pay for it because you do pay for MSC certification. It is the most expensive certifications. That's one of the reasons that people were concerned about it locking out smaller um, suppliers because it's expensive to try and get your industry certified. But my Northern Catch has it, so they've decided that it is worth it for them. So that is basically everything that is on my can of tuna and the reasons why I picked it and also reasons why I might not pick it again. So what are your thoughts, Sarah? I love stuff like this because it just feels like a very practical thing to do. I think it gets overwhelming if you start to feel like you have to take all of the steps at the same time and now go over every single thing that you ever buy ever and make sure that every moment of your day is whatever. So don't do that to yourself. Don't put that on yourself. But here's a choice. Here's a choice that you can make. Start with this one little thing. And it can be confusing because like I said, Casey, me too. Like I I was like, I knew that my star kissed wasn't whatever. Like I literally, I picked this up because they were out of the, the wild planet and it was just whatever. It was the brand that was there. Uh, but I intentionally buy wild planet. And so now I have learned some other things and I'm going to have to look at that and kind of uh, reevaluate. But I don't know, just in general, I I like this idea of really taking a moment to look and understand what it is that this can is telling me so i think it's really cool and like i said even just your little extra about the age of reproduction for the species of tuna i had no idea about that and that's an interesting thing to think about i i think what i like about this particular topic and i feel the same way about eggs (laughs) is that a lot of times the label is specific enough and the information is out there and the industry is regulated enough or not regulated enough Mm -hmm. that you can get enough information. I never feel like I can do that with like trees. Like sure. You know, I have to trust the Ford stewardship council to say, yes, this is what what they're doing. This, I don't have to trust the MSC to say this is a hundred percent sustainable. I can do like, I know. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it can be a little tricky. And I mean, that's what the FSC label is supposed to do, even though as we've seen it, it's hard. Nothing is 100%. But I I do feel like it can get confusing because it is easy to just be like, oh yeah, 100% pull in line. Yay. And that's exactly what I had been doing. I hadn't been checking, you know, the rest of the information. So I think it can be tough. You will, maybe if you just start to look at this, you see Dolphin Safe and you look up what Dolphin Safe is and whatever site you're reading makes you feel like, yay, Dolphin Safe. Like that's a great thing so there are kind of different levels and different perspectives so sometimes you do have to take a few minutes and and dive a little deeper and find where you're at on the scale and what things are important to you yeah i think we're gonna summarize this in like the things to focus on is that dolphin safe is good but it should be your lowest bar Mm -hmm. pull in line caught is probably the best gold standard as far as a catching method if it's in a can it's I don't think they sell bluefin tuna in a can. That's the only one that really has had a lot of issues. I could be wrong on that. There's a lot of that in tu- in a um sushi, for example. Those populations actually have started to rebound. That's what I was reading from the uh convention on biological diversity that happened. They delisted or downgraded some of those species of bluefin tuna. They're more sustainable now. I still won't eat it. That's still something for me. 
I'm going to wait till they say that they're okay. (laughs) There are better choices out there. So for me, I picked Skipjack. If you don't like the taste of Skipjack, Albacore is totally fine too. But pull in line, Dolphin Safe is the lowest bar possible. And then if you can get to those two things, you're probably in a lot better shape than most people are. Cool. I learned a lot. Thanks, Casey. Stick around, guys. We'll give you your wrap up in just a minute. All right, guys, we are back to the end of the episode where we give you a actionable step that you can take. So if you're taking this year to be the year of being a little greener like I am and you have the decision to make at the grocery store, one of the greenest things you can do is read the label on your seafood and that way it can help you make a decision. So we just gave you a lot of advice on cans of tuna. If you don't eat tuna, but you eat other seafood, some of those same things will still apply. Like pull in line is still the best choice really for any seafood across the board. Um, and look out for things like wild caught for species that uh, <laughs> aren't farmed anyway. So there's things that, that you should pay attention to, things that you can kind of ignore through it. But reading the labels really important. If you've got guts, I've never been able to do it yet. I really ask at a restaurant, ask at a restaurant. If you order their like salmon or whatever, you can ask them like, Hey, do you know, is this sustainably caught? I just, I, I haven't ever had the guts because like the waiter probably doesn't know they're going to have to go ask another person who's going to get annoyed about it at them. And I, but it really is a way for a restaurant to know that somebody cares about it. Yeah. And you can do it politely. Like this probably, this is not the most sustainable way to do it, but like you can literally order the fish and then just be like, Hey, by the way, like just for future reference, do you know, could you, or are you able to find out if this is the same course caught? I'm just curious. Maybe you can be like, Hey, this was delicious. Yeah. Can you let the chef know? I really liked it and and ask if it is sustainably (laughs) caught. <laughs> and I do, I do think it's important just from the that perspective of we need the producers is the only word I can think of right now, but we need the the people who are giving us the, the product to, yes. <laughs> to know that this is important to us. And then you will start to see it because there have been some restaurants that I have actually seen it on the menu. I love it when that happens. Yes. Where they specifically say on the menu that, but, I mean, basically what we were just talking about, this is sustainably sourced from this location. Right by this method. And I love that. Yes, totally agree. Also, if you were like, Casey, am I going to have to look up the tuna populations of FAO 51 to know what I'm talking about? No, you don't. (laughs) There's an amazing website called seafoodwatch.org and you can look up any seafood that you're looking to eat and they will give you a list of the places they know it's from, the methods that it's caught, the species that it is, and they rank them, giving you like, this is the best choice, this is a good alternative, and this is one that you should avoid. It's the basically red light, green light system. Mm-hmm. And that could be really helpful. So it doesn't mean you're going to have to research the sustainability of populations in a particular area, right. whether we're over harvesting in the southern Indian Ocean. Seafood Watch can give you enough of that information for you. Yes. And this is literally what I did because honestly, I always go to the grocery store and I'm like, I don't ever remember what kind of tuna I buy. <laughs> so that's what I did. I just Googled, I looked up the uh the Seafood Watch website and just like scrolled through and I saw all of these Poland line caught albacore tunas as being first choice. And I was like, okay. And I grabbed my can. Dang, globally sourced. (laughs) But Um, they will tell you on there, there are different locations that are going to be better than others too. They give reasoning. You Mm -hmm. can't go on there and type in Starkist Northern Catch Wild Planet. They do not certify particular brands. They're just letting you know, based on the populations that are in that particular area and then what sort of fishing method they used is that going to be a good choice for you and so i i really like that it's much less of a like pay to play than some of the other certification systems out there i've met the people who run seafood watch and 
I just was super, super impressed with the level of knowledge and dedication they have to partnering with restaurants and partnering with businesses and getting the word out there. So it's worth checking out. They've got a lot of statistics on there about what the issues are in the seafood industry, different fishing methods that we didn't even cover in here. So if you're curious about more stuff, go to seafoodwatch.org. Great. Thank you, Casey. Friends listening out there, if you want to tell us about your tuna, if you want to give us suggestions for other episode topics, if you have questions, comments, whatever, you can find us all over the place. We are on Facebook, A Little Greener Podcast. We are on Instagram at A Little Greener Pod. We're on Twitter at A Greener Podcast. Or you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us, guys. Good luck eating your tuna this week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk to you next week. Bye.